This is the Value Investor Podcast with Tracy Reinick. All things value, all the time. Welcome back, value investors. So I ran across an interesting article in the Wall Street Journal just a few days ago here in August 2023, and it's called, Here's What a $5 Million Retirement Looks Like in America. And it's by Veronica Dogger and Ann Turgeson. And this is a part of an ongoing series that the Wall Street Journal is doing. I don't know if some of you have read some of the other articles. They covered various different money amounts, basically, and what it's like to retire under those amounts. So they did do one that was under $1 million in retirement, and they did the if you had a million-dollar portfolio, and then they also covered $2 million portfolios. But this was the first time they ever did the $5 million retirement portfolios. And what the article does is it um, highlights, you know, four or five people who were brave enough to volunteer with their finances to the reporters and talk about what it's like to be retired with these kinds of amounts of money. So in this particular article, it was a $5 million retirement where uh, you're looking at, you know, 401ks, IRAs, the KIOs, and that has to equal $5 million. But that level is really extraordinary. So they had a chart in the article that was from 2019, and it showed that just 0.1% of families, they used family in America, have saved Five million or more into those tax preferred accounts. So that doesn't include like a taxable trading account, doesn't include your real estate, or maybe you have some gold coins out there. Maybe you have crypto. It doesn't include any of that. It's not your whole net worth. It's just in those retirement accounts. And um, so I was really interested to see, you know, what who can get the 5 million because it is so rare. But why is it so rare? Because really you need to max out. You need to max out for 30 or more years to get close to that 5 million, Special, especially if you're a singleton. A lot of the ones in the articles were, um, but not all, but many of them were couples. But if you're a singleton to get to the 5 million in those tax um deferred, you know, those kinds of accounts, it's very difficult. You have to, you know, you have to have a long time period. Um, Additionally, some in the article were 80 years old. So of course that gives you even more time, but that would be anyone over age 80 is in the silent generation. They're not even baby boomers. So they do have much more time to compound But interestingly, in the article, there were several who were in their 60s who, you know, had less time to compound. So it can be done even by your 60s. Um, But there's a few lessons I learned from just reading this article that I wanted to talk about um, because this is where we get like these kind of lessons on how to how to retire rich, I guess, is what it really should be. Um, and you know, can we do it too, especially as value investors, we tend to invest for longer time periods. We are more buy and hold investors. We're following the Warren Buffett path 
and he's a long-term investor. So investing for retirement is right up our alley. So the Wall Street Journal had profiles of five people slash couples who have gotten close to that five million. And I say close because not all of those featured have managed to get to that five million in the tax, you know, preferred accounts alone. They usually were getting there or getting close to it based on both taxable accounts plus the stuff in the 401k and the IRAs and that kind of thing. Um, so that tells you again, like how very, very difficult it is to get 5 million in these tax deferred accounts um, because the people who wrote into them that they you know, talked to for this article, probably they couldn't find enough that were the 5 million. Uh, so they just went with those that were the closest. But let's be clear, Anything over a million in those tax preferred accounts is extraordinary. So, you know, if you can get to the million, that's amazing. According to that chart from 2019 that's in the article, just 3.1% of families have between 1 million and 4.999 million in, you know, the tax preferred accounts. So again, that doesn't include if they have houses or in taxable investments elsewhere, it's only in these tax deferred. So it's very difficult to even get to a million. That's just 3% of all the people. Um, but when reading this article, like I said, a few things did stand out to me. And I wanted to talk about those and share those because this is where we can get those lessons. Um, and a lot of the, at least on the five that they featured, they have seemingly done similar things to get to their level of wealth, which is rich, basically. They are, they have, you know, four, five, six million dollars in um, their investing accounts alone. So uh, the number one lesson, let's start there, is to start early. It's not a surprise, but the earlier you start investing, the more time you have to compound, the more you will have at the end. So one guy in the story did say he started maxing out his 401k, maxing it out at age 22. That's rare. Not many people are going to, you know, max it out at age 22. But even if you just start at age 22, you're way ahead of the game. Um, he's now 61, and he was in software sales, at least towards the end, and his wife was a dental hygienist. Um, but he uh, managed to get and accumulate a $4.2 million portfolio, but only half was in the retirement side, so that would be $2.1 million. That's not too shabby, right, at age 61, and the other half was in taxable accounts. The other thing you did, number two thing you have to do is, I'm sure you've already figured it out, you have to max out. So that guy I was just talking about, he did start maxing out at age 22, but there was another uh, guy in the story. He was a veterinarian and uh, with a military background. He said he started maxing out, but only in his 30s. So... Um, a little bit later, but uh, as long as you start, it's never too late. That's what I've always said. He's now 80 in the article, and he has 6.1 million 
in his savings. Half are in the retirement, so that's not too shabby. We'll just call that $3 million. And the other half is in his retirements. So he did uh, transition out of the veterinarian business. He sold a couple of those businesses, and he became a certified financial planner, it says, in the 1990s. His wife was a nurse. So uh, she's 75, he's 80, he has 6.1 million, but he too was maxing out starting in his 30s. Um, But, you know, not many people can max out, right? I know what you're thinking, like, no, Tracy, there's no way I can max out all of that with everything else I have going on, with paying my mortgage, with my car payment, with saving for my kids' college, for just savings and, you know, fixing the house and everything else. So that's okay, right? Um, Only about 10 to 12% are likely maxing out every year in their 401ks. We know this from the Vanguard and the Fidelity data. They release it every year. And those are the two biggest uh, breeders of 401ks for companies. So it's not exact data because there's other companies that also uh, run these plans. But these are the two biggest ones. And it stayed pretty consistent over the last uh, number of years that it's about 10 to 12% that are maxing it out. Um, so we have the the 61-year-old, he got up to 4.2. We have the 80-year-old, he's at 6.1. And that's from starting early and then maxing out. The third thing that I noticed that was a trend with all of these uh, in the article was they invested in stocks. They were in stocks and you know equity ETFs. Um, the 61-year-old said that he had seven Vanguard index funds. He was a big fan of Jack Bogle, and he you know studied him, read his books, and liked the indexing uh, idea. And he has seven of those in his retirement account. But he did own individual stocks on the side, including tech stocks, because he was in software sales. And he said he bought Home Depot, which he bought many years ago, and uh, split adjusted. He bought it for just $3 a share. So um, that's the other thing in common. A lot of them have just individual uh, you know, equities in their holdings. Now, the fourth thing is, in addition to just being in equities, it really doesn't take a genius based on at least what is in the article. They're buying just kind of, uh, you know, the the regular standard types of stocks. They're not looking for the next big thing necessarily. Even the 80-year-old who is now a certified financial planner was 70% in equities. But I noticed a common thread in the equities they did mention. So Apple was mentioned twice in the article, Home Depot. Microsoft was mentioned, NVIDIA, and then just index funds. Um, another person in the article who is a doctor, he only had only a million dollars in his retirement, like tax-deferred accounts. Um, that's what I mean. Like the article did have some difficulty, I think, finding anyone that had that much money in those tax-deferred accounts because that's not easy to get that level um, but he had two homes. One was worth 1.5 million, the other one 1.2 million, and he rents the second one out. So he was getting income from that. 
and that doctor was still working part-time. So, um, you know, he, he maybe is still contributing. We don't know. It didn't say, but, um, he's still, you know, going, um, another interesting thing, several of them also had mortgages, but they were low interest rates, so they weren't worried about it. And as I said, several were working part-time, you know, because they could. And they have these huge investment portfolios backing them up. So I did want to talk about a little bit more about how their investments just seem so basic. You know, you could just go out and buy the S&P 500, right? The VOO, the Vanguard ETF. I own it in my own personal portfolio. It has the low expense ratio, just 0.04%. You want to get a low expense ratio on any ETF you own that you're going to hold for a long period of time so it doesn't eat away at your returns. Um, But I own the VOO. That's basic, right? And then I've talked about my friend, Ed, who's now 93, and he was the one who had the $50,000 over 30 years ago. Now it's about 33 years ago, and he's grown it into $5 million portfolio during that time. And he owned, you know, what I consider to be like old economy companies, remember? Um, Bank of America was in there, ticker BAC. And I took a look at them just over the last 10 years. Even with the banking crisis we had recently, Bank of America shares are up 108% over the 10 years. And that does not include the dividend. It's now paying a dividend again. So for some of those years, it could not because of the Great Recession restrictions that the Federal Reserve put on the banks. But now it is paying the last several years. It's been paying again. It's yielding 3%. So that's a nice little added bonus. But you're up 108% over the last 10 years. So that sounds pretty good. But uh, the S&P 500, that VOO, if you had been in that over the last 10 years, that's up a lot more. That is up, uh, why don't I have it? It's up. Uh, let's see. I know I wrote it down. Uh, 170% during that period. So 108 versus 170. But um, that annualizes out on the S&P 500 to 10.33% annualized. That's what we're all aiming for, right? If we could get 10%, that would be amazing. With the dividend reinvested, though, it's 12.35% over the last 10 years. So nothing wrong with the indexes, right? That seems basic and boring, but it did beat the Bank of America over the last 10 years. He also owned Sherwin-Williams, remember? I keep bringing up Sherwin-Williams. But 10 years for Sherwin-Williams, 377% without the dividends, but they have that dividend reinvesting uh, nice investment calculator on their website. So with the dividends, it would be up 437% or 18.3% annualized. So $10,000 invested would have been 53,780 after 10 years. I also took a look at 20 years out because a lot of the people in the article from the Wall Street Journal owned for uh, many years. And 20 years out, 2003 would be up 3,586% or 19.77 annualized, 10,000 
dollars invested was $368,680. So you really see the power of that compounding the longer you own. And if you're getting in the double digits, 10% or more over that entire time period, you're really going to see the power of compounding there, which you do with Sherwin-Williams. But I took a look at uh, a couple of other just like basic things um, because, you know, we all might not get 10%. And some of these numbers might seem a little scary. I know that do for me, oh, it's nice to max out, like I said, but most of us will not be maxing out. But what if I just took $1,000 um, a month and I invested that over the course of 20 years? And I wasn't even getting 10%. I was getting 7%. I would, I put that into investment calculator. I would be uh, end up with 491945 So almost half a million dollars for my $12,000 a year. So 12000 is not maxing out. That's 1000 bucks a month. And hopefully you're, you would get a match maybe from your employer for part of that. But that's not even close to what these other rich retirees are doing in the article, but I'm still getting this, you know, very nice nest egg. If I managed to up it a little bit more to 1500 a month at the 7%, I would be at $737,918. This is compounded annually. If I did manage to like try to max it out, and I put in 2000 a month and then I compounded this monthly because I am putting it in monthly. So I tried the monthly compounding. That would be 1041000 at the 7%. If I could get what the S&P 500 has done over the last 10 years um, without even the dividends reinvested at 10%. It would be 1.518 million. And that would put me in the top 3.1% of all families in if it was in a retirement portfolio. But I know what you're asking, like, how do I get $24,000 a year in there if I'm under 50? Because I don't think the max is quite at 24 yet if you're under 50 years of age. Um, but you could, if you were real dedicated, do a 401k and then put some money elsewhere if you could. Um, and so, but even if you could do just the max out, I think it's a little bit under 24,000. If you're under age 50, as these numbers all show, you'll get uh, quite a compounding on that amount of money. So it's a lot. Most people can't save that much, but again, $1,000 a month at 7% gets you nearly half a million, and that can set you on your way. So most of the examples in this article as well, um, they do have some other outside sources of income. Like I mentioned, the doctor that had the house that he rented out, he got income from that. And so because they have this in you know incredible stock portfolios or just investment portfolios in general and these other ways to get money some had pensions from military service they uh mostly were waiting in the article to take their social security at the maximum years so you know their health is pretty good they're waiting until age 70 to max it out and get the maximum from the social security as well 
So you can do that if you set up your your other part of your life to not have to rely on the Social Security. Um, another stock that was mentioned, as I mentioned in this article, was NVIDIA, uh, which you know is in right now. It has been an extraordinary stock over the last 10 years. It is one of those lottery stocks. And so if you manage to just hold it onto it for just 10 years, um, you're doing pretty good, I would say. So NVIDIA, ticker NVDA, is up 11,786% over that time period. Over the last two years, let's say you you know, or later to the action, it's up 117%. It did have that big sell-off last year and then has rallied big this year on all the AI news and the analyst upgrades. Um, but, uh, you know, NVIDIA, uh, that that would have just been lucky 10 years ago and, you know, maybe some people were. Um, so that's why I think some of these rich ret retirees invest some in some stocks, but also they have the indexes there because those are just kind of grinding and doing their thing. Um, another stock that for us value investors, because I know you're, what you're thinking, NVIDIA is not a value. It's trading at the super high valuation. But uh, Buffett, Warren Buffett has always said he wants to buy great quality companies even if they're slightly more expensive than the classic value valuations that are out there. Um, and he's had a lot of success doing this and, and buying those types of companies. Berkshire Hathaway does not own NVIDIA. I'm sure he wishes he did, but it does not. But you can own Berkshire Hathaway and everything else it owns. Uh, ticker BRK.B is the ticker. Those are the B shares. Those are the cheaper ones. Uh, 10 years, up 218.9% now versus the S&P 500, up 170%. 20 years, I looked at that one, if you managed to buy in after the dot-com bust, if you threw in your hat with Warren Buffett back then, it's up 600.9%. Uh, 600 and the S&P 500 during that time is up 338.5. So he's nearly doubled the S&P 500 over that 20 years. That's not too shabby either. Uh, so again, boring and basic works, but you have to hold on for these longer time periods and pick good quality companies because not all will be these ones I'm just uh, you know, highlighting here. That's why you should be diverse. I've always warned about that. Don't just own one stock. 10 to 20 stocks can be diverse in most portfolios and then, you know, mix it in with various indexes, the small caps, the mid caps, and the large. A lot of people tend to emphasize the large right now because that has been outperforming the last several years, but that's not always the case. Some of the best performing historically has been small cap value, but it's been a while since we had small cap value outperforming many years. But that doesn't mean, um, you know, you shouldn't be uh, diverse in it and diverse just in all these types of caps. So the keys I learned from this article really were consistency. They all were doing their investing year after year. They weren't apparently trying to market time and they kept it pretty basic. The indexes, they bought some individual stocks, which, you know, these highly profitable, you know, strong free cash flow type companies. 
and they held on to those. Um, also, remember, start young, and no matter if it's in a taxable or non-taxable, start as early as you can because time is the most powerful force you have in investing, the time to compound those returns over many years. Remember, Buffett didn't become a billionaire until his early 60s, but the vast majority of his wealth now has been created since his 60s. Um, although he's now about to turn 93. So he's had a lot, long time to still continue to compound. So that's uh, a good benefit for him, right? And we see that in his own net worth as well of what has happened in the later years as he's really compound that wealth there. So um, start early if you can max out to get the 5 million, but most people don't need the five million. Even the doctor only had a million in his retirement uh, accounts, but he had, um, you know, other assets. So again, that goes to the diversity, and it just really goes to savings. That's what it takes to get even anywhere close to the five million in that account. And some did not even get close to that, but. Um, you know, it's still a tremendous amount based on what everyone else is doing, right? And it can be done because none of these people in the article are, you know, actors, athletes, rock stars, uh, you know, any CEOs really. Um, they're in kind of, you know, just regular professions you and I can also be in. So keep that in mind. Um, let me recap the stocks we talked about. I talked about Bank of America, BAC. There was Sherwin-Williams again, of course, SHW, NVIDIA, NVDA. I feel like that might replace Apple soon as the stock to own for like basically all investors, but we'll see. But I wasn't surprised to see it mentioned in this article. Um, Berkshire Hathaway itself, BRK.B. And just the regular standard S&P 500, um, you know, uh, ETF with a uh, low expense ratio, it's V as in Victor, O-O, V-O-O. I own it in my own personal portfolio. And as always, I'm looking for any kind of investing ideas, it seems, and certainly on the value side, how to compound our money. I'm still reading The Joys of Compounding. I'm looking at it right now. I'm about halfway through. There's some really interesting things in it, and I will continue to talk about what, what is in that book because uh, that's what we do here. We talk about investing and, of course, compounding because that's what it takes. And you can get all of our podcasts remember to get us on youtube go to zach's podcast you can subscribe there and listen to us on youtube but we're also on apple podcasts as you all know you're on apple we're on spotify we're on amazon music we're on soundcloud but you have to go on there for the zach's market edge you'll get two for one if you get both of those podcasts over there, but it's under the Zach's Market Edge. But be sure to get us somewhere and I'll see you again next week with some value stocks.
This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.